right, well, we recently had a momentous occasion in our household as my oldest son just started junior high. Junior high, that's a uh, smooth, easy couple of years, right? Of course not. No, for most of us, they're awkward in their painful years where anything could go wrong. I remember when I started junior high, it just moved from California all the way out to Ohio. And came in, sat down for lunch, the first day of Ohio junior high with my little Ohio friends. And uh, sat down for lunch, and they had those same little mini paper cartons of milk, same ones we had in California, which was great, but they all put straws in their milk. Said, all right, I can be, I can be an Ohio kid. So I got, got a straw, put it in my milk, but I guess years of muscle memory of, of drinking milk like this, I put the straw in my mouth, <laughs> reached up to drink it, and I dumped milk all over myself. The Ohio kids were all staring at me going, whoa, is that how they drink milk in California? I was, I was mortified, right? I went home, I told my parents, that's it, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm skipping junior high, take me back in a couple of years. But my parents wisely calmed me down, and they said, you know, junior high, it might be tough, but you got to go back, you got to face your fears, and you got to head back. And I had a similar kind of conversation with my junior hire before he started. I said, junior high, it's going to be tough, things are going to go wrong, there's no way around it, friends will make fun of you, you're going to want to quit sometimes. And more than that, there's going to be some bad influences. You're going to be tempted to do the wrong thing. So you've got to be strong and you've got to persevere. You go and think a junior high is going to be a breeze, you're going to be disappointed. Then you're not going to be ready for the trials and the temptations that are going to come and you're going to fail, so you've got to be ready. And Christian life is the same way. We, it's hard. We live in a fallen world and there's obstacles and there's temptations. And more than that, Christian marriage, this is a marriage group, right? It's good, marriage is good, but let's be honest, it's hard as well, is it not? Two different people with two different desires, and you got to work hard. you got to be ready to fight to do what's right, or you're going to fail. If you want to be an obedient follower of Christ, if you want to be the kind of godly husband that God called you to be, or the kind of godly wife that God called you to be, you've got to be ready to fight through trials and temptations that will inevitably come your way. And that's our topic for tonight as we turn to our passage in Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 39 through 46 in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as you turn there, let's review the points from Pastor Mike's lesson this past weekend. Put them on the screen behind me there. First point, Pastor Mike told us, is we need to realize that his pain was your penalty. Substitutionary atonement as Christ died for our sins. Second, we need to thank God for his costly love. Christ became sin in God's eyes so we could become his righteousness. But then third, we need to love him by doing what he says. Our response as, as obedient children needs to be to follow his commands. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want you to take time to ponder those first two points. Ponder the greatness of God's sacrifice for you, giving His Son so you could have life, and I'm going to implore you to get your life right with God. But for the rest of you Christians, what I want to focus on tonight is that third point, and our response to doing what He says. What I want to do is flip it around and actually go back to the garden. 
and to see Christ's response to the trials and the temptations that he faced there and to see what we can learn from his response to trials and temptations and learn what we can imply to having an effective response to trials and temptations in our lives. So with that as background, let's go ahead and let's read the passage again, Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from there, from them, about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So let's review the context here. Jesus leaving the Passover supper, crossing that Kidron Valley, and heading over to the Mount of Olives. And now we know from some of the other Gospels that specifically he went to the garden that's called Gethsemane. And as verse 39 in our passage states, that was his custom. That was a place he often went to for, for prayer, for lodging. And since it was his custom, Judas, who had just left to betray him, knew that Jesus would be there. And Jesus is not trying to avoid arrest. He knows that Judas is coming because Jesus is ready to face whatever it is that God has in front of him. Not that it was easy. We can see in this passage the emotional strain of Christ as he wrestles with temptation. Right? Facing the pain of crucifixion. And the pain of separation from God and Satan getting in there, trying to get him to abandon the cross or abandon God's plan for his life. But we see Jesus fighting that, refusing to give in to temptation and challenging the disciples to do the same thing. That's why he says to the disciples in verse 40, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Satan today is still trying to do the same thing, tempting us in the same way, trying to get us to abandon God's plans for our lives. So what we need to do is fight as well. Or point number one on your outline, you need to fight temptation. Because you're going to face temptation every single day of your life. And like my son in junior high, you can't be naive. You can't be unprepared. You got to be ready to fight each and every day. And I'm going to give you three things that you need to do to fight temptation. And you guessed it, three little pointy fingers on the screen behind me. Pointy finger number one, the first way you need to fight temptation in your life is you need to be watchful. You got to be watchful. And to see that, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. This is a parallel account of the very same scene in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You find that in all the Gospels, I believe. And from this parallel account in Matthew, we know that Jesus, he was actually praying for, for about an hour. And after an hour of prayer, he comes back, and as we know, he finds his disciples sleeping. And notice what he says to them. Again, Matthew ch chapter 26, let's pick it up in verse, let's pick it up in verse 40, actually. And he came to the disciples, Matthew 26, 40, and found them sleeping. And then he decides he's going to pick on Peter, I guess. He says to Peter, so you could not watch with me 
one hour? And then notice what he says in verse 41. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You've got to watch. Disciples were not aware of the temptation. They were literally sleeping on the job. They were not watchful and they're not aware of the dangers. And the same Peter, he figures this out years later in 1 Peter 5.8, same guy, he's like, now I get it. He says in 1 Peter 5.8, be watchful. He's like, now I get it. You got to be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we got to be watching. Just like the, uh, the parents of a, of a toddler is just learning to walk. Remember when my kids were just, just learning to walk, and I don't know, maybe it was the, the bars on the cribs, but they were just always looking for a jailbreak, right? Always waiting for the guards to not be watching, and then they'd, they'd make a run for it. So anytime we're with crowds, anytime we're at the mall, anything, we'd watch them like a hawk. Why? Because they're in danger. In a blink of an eye, they could be gone. So we always got to be watching. Same thing's true for temptations in your life. You've always got to be watching for them. Because temptations, they're going to sneak up on you when you're not on your guard. And in your marriage, you're called to be selfless. You're called to be sacrificial to your spouse. And maybe you started out strong in this way in your marriage with these great acts of sacrifice for your spouse. But time goes by and years later and your, your wife asks you to pick up milk on the way home from work. And oh, I don't have time to do that. And you end up with a marriage with two selfish desires constantly at odds, constantly friction with one another. And you finally look back and you say, well, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? You got to that point because you weren't watching. And you let, you let selfish temptations sneak into your marriage and get you off course. So you always got to be watching for temptations. But that's not the only thing. Pointing finger number two, you have also got to be strong. You got to be strong because Satan is going to tempt you with things that look good. Like in this passage, he, Satan tempted Christ with something that sounded good. He said, you don't need to go to the cross. We, we can find a different way. And the temptations that you face in your life are going to be similarly alluring. Because temptations, by definition, are something that you want. It's like my, my junior high son. He's old enough now to sit in the, in the front seat of the car. Now, let me warn you, parents with younger kids, you know what your kids are going to want to do when they finally reach the promised land of the front seat of the car? I'll tell you what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to mess with your stuff. That's what my son does. He sits in the front there, and he's, he's all over the place. He's turning knobs. He's cranking up the air. He's turning up the radio. He's in the glove compartment doing who knows what. And I'm driving down the road. I'm like, dude, you've got to control yourself. And you know what he said to me? He turned to me and he said, but dad, that's so hard. All right, it's tempting. I want to touch that stuff. But what I want my son to do is to resist his desires and resist his temptations. And to do that takes strength. And you, you've got to be strong in your marriage. Because temptations are going to come and guess what? They're going to sound good to you. Maybe it's the, the allure of, of sexual temptation. Because your marriage that was so exciting at the beginning, maybe it's gone a bit stale. And you've got your phone and you can flip it on and the image is right there. It's so tempting. Or that budding relationship with a, with a friend or a coworker. That's so alluring. 
And sure, it sounds appealing. I mean, of course it sounds appealing because that is what Satan does. He tempts you with things that are appealing and you've got to stand strong and you've got to fight it. Or maybe for you, maybe, maybe it's that client you've always trying to, be, to land at work and you're so close. And if you just told a few little white lies, oh, you think you could close that deal. Or maybe it's the house that you always wanted. With that backyard, you could finally get the kids out of your hair. But it's a little too expensive. If you just cut back on giving to church just for a little bit, you think you could make that happen. Right? Satan's going to tempt you with your deepest desires that you have. And that's why it's so important that you fight those temptations and that you resolve to stand strong with God. And pointing finger number three, third way you can fight temptation in your life is you've got to be prayerful. Got to be prayerful. It's clear in our passage. Back in verse 40, Jesus says to his disciples, pray that you don't enter into temptation. Then verse 41, he goes, the stones throw away. He prays too. You got to lean on God for strength through prayer. Prayer is the mechanism of how God gives you strength to overcome temptation. Maybe for you, money's tight. You can barely pay those bills and then this thing called Compass 2020 comes rolling along, and you're, you're tempted to say no to God. No, I, I, we just can't afford it. No, I'm, I'm sorry, God, no, we can't afford it. You bring that to God in prayer. You say, God, help me to understand how I can have a godly approach to the money you've given me. Think he's going to give you wisdom in how to do that? Maybe you've got anger in your marriage, constant fights with your spouse, and, and certain things that they do that it just bugs you so much. But you bring that to God and you pray. You say, God, help me not to be angry in my marriage. God, help me understand how I can love my spouse as you love them. You think he's going to give you insight and strength into how to do that? A prayerful person does not give in to temptation. A prayerful person trusts God to bring him through. Life is full of temptations. You got to be watchful. You, you got to be strong and you got to prayerfully lean on God for strength to bring you through them. Your Christian life depends on it and your marriage depends on it. But let's go back to our passage. Let's pick it up where we left off in verse 42 where the topic changes from temptation just a little bit. In verse 42, where Christ says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This cup. We know from Pastor Mike's lesson this weekend that the cup he's talking about is a symbol of God's justice, right? The suffering that he would experience on the cross. And the suffering is more than just, just physical pain. We know that if you still got your finger in Matthew 26, look at verse 38. If not, I'll just read it. Christ says, my soul is sorrow, sorrowful. My, my soul is sorrowful. The thought of, of bearing the sins of the whole world, the burden of every lie that's ever been told and every murder that's ever been committed and every impure act and, and the separation from the Father that would come, so revolting was the thought of it that Christ asked for that cup to be taken away. And here we come to the pivotal moment. Jesus facing the, the supreme trial. And Christ is able to set his fears aside. Christ is able to set his desires aside and say, God, your will be done. Is that how you respond in your trials? When it's something hard, something you don't want to deal with, are you afraid? Do you give in? Do you compromise? 
Or do you respond like Christ and stand firm with God? Point number two on your outline, you need to stand firm through trials. When facing trials, you've got, you got two choices. You can take the easy way out. You can compromise. Or you can stand up. You can face your fears. You can look that trial head on, and you can do what God called you to do. Problem is, we like the easy way out. We're born that way. I mean, just look to your kids. Just ask your kids, I don't know, to, uh, to look an adult in the eye or talk to them. What do they say? Oh, it's hard. I don't want to do that. Used to take my kids to, to Chick Fil A. Well, still do. I used to, um, and they would get the little, you know the kids meal with the with the little kids toy. And we tell them, look, all you need to do is take that kids toy up to that guy behind the counter, give it to him, and he and he will give you an ice cream. You just need to say, give me an ice cream, and he'll give you ice cream. And you know they say, oh no, it's too hard, Dad. I can't. You do it for me. I can't do it. It's too hard. And this continues as we grow up. Right? We're afraid to stand up for God. We're afraid to sacrifice for Him. We're afraid of what it might cost. But Christ shows us a different way. He shows us how to stand up for our fears. How to set aside what's easiest for what God wants us to do. Because Christ doesn't look at His schedule and say, okay, God, let me see how much time I can give you. He doesn't calculate the cost and say, God, I can give you this much, but no more. He doesn't worry about what people think of him. Not distracted by that broad and easy road that the world lays out for him because his focus is on the narrow and the rocky road of God's plan for his life. Not that it wasn't hard. Oh, he wrestled with it. Sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. But he said, as we see in verse 42, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 26 says, he says this three times. Not my will, but yours be done again and again and again. Imagine what your life would be like if every time you faced a trial, every time you faced an opportunity to compromise, you looked up to God and you said, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, just imagine the power of that. You've got a spouse maybe that doesn't appreciate you like you think they should. And you're working hard to serve them. You're working hard to sacrifice for them. And you got no appreciation coming back the other way. And you, and you want to quit. And maybe you do just a little bit. But how different would your marriage be if you resolved to say to God, not my will, but yours be done. And then you keep on sacrificing in that marriage. I had lunch the other week with a friend of mine. And uh, he's married to a spouse that's not a believer. And, and this, this is a faithful guy. And, and he's serving her and he's sacrificed for her and he's, he's getting nothing back. And the world would say, well, just quit, man. Just quit. You, you got to get out of there. You got to start standing up for yourself. But he's resolved to stand firm through his trial. And I tell you, God's going to honor him for that. Or maybe for you, maybe, you, maybe you've got a husband that's, that's not not leading spiritually in your marriage, and it's causing real and very practical problems in your life, and you stress and you worry about it, how different would your perspective be? How different would your marriage be if you said, God, not my will, but yours, be done? Or maybe in your next fight with your spouse, and you want one thing, and they want something else, and let's face it, that thing that they want, it's, it's just stupid, 
And you know, you know it's not going to work out like they think it's going to work out. And you can feel the tension rising, and you so badly want to have it your own way, but yet you hear that voice of God in your head saying, sacrifice, compromise. If you turn to God and you said, not my will, but yours be done, how, how different would that conflict look in your marriage? I don't care what trial you're facing. Your kids are rebellious. Your job's a mess. Your boss is unfair. Maybe, maybe you're witnessing for God at work, and you're in danger of losing your job, but you say, not my will, but yours be done. Just imagine what God can do through you. Imagine what God could do through Thrive if we all did this. Imagine if everybody at Compass Bible Church did this. Imagine what would happen in Orange County if we all set our fears aside, we all set our desires aside, we faced those trials head on, and we said, God, not my will, but yours be done. I tell you, that's something we'd, we'd look back for eternity and we'd be amazed. We'd say, look what God was able to do through us. Never forgetting, whatever you're facing, God will work it out for good. You know the verse, Romans 8, 28, put it on the screen. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things, every trial, Every bad marriage, every, every rebellious kid, every bad thing that could happen, it all works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And if God could use the crucifixion, the, the, the human sacrifice of his perfect son for good, just imagine what he could do with your trials if you just trust in him. I thought of, uh, I was researching this passage and praying with this. I thought of, of Mike and Vicky Zerati, if you know them. They're the uh, mentors in the Cornish's group. And if you don't know, they were at a getaway celebration this summer. And Vicky came down with an infection. Eventually, she went into septic shock, and she almost died. In fact, every doctor you talked to would tell her she should have died that day. But she didn't. God saved her. But unfortunately, through this process, all the blood, I guess, rushes to the internal organs to save them and away from her hands and her feet. And this Labor Day weekend, just a few weeks ago, Vicky had to have both of her hands amputated. And she had to have both of her feet amputated. Now that's a trial. It'd be easy to give up. It'd be easy to get mad at God. <laughs> not the Zeratis, not if you know them. No, no, they're facing that trial head on. And with the joy of the Lord, they're saying, not my will, but yours be done. Still faithfully trusting God, still speaking up for God. Vicky says, she says she almost died and God saved her. And that, that's her testimony. And God's taken her hands and feet. That is now her ministry. Right? They know that God's going to somehow use this. And God's already using it for good. People in the hospital are already hearing about the amazing faith of these people and coming just to see them. We got people that thrive, stepping up and, and seeing, seeing the faithfulness of the Zeratis and saying, well, I better be more faithful to God in my life and stepping up to serve and thrive. God's going to use a couple like the Zeratis because they'll stand firm in a trial, trusting in the strength of their Savior. And just a quick little sermon aside, if you know the Zeratis, even if you don't know the Zeratis, you can, you can help them. We're trying to get some meals together for them. The church is putting that together. If you're interested in helping, you can email um, Delia, Pastor Mark's assistant. Uh, she's in the back there, delia at compasschurch.org. Uh, we'd love for you to help them out. But whatever you're doing, resolve. Resolve to stand firm in trials, not compromising, not giving in, setting aside your own desires and saying to God, not my will, but yours be done. 
And one final important thing to remember is that we're not on our own in these trials. God, of course, he's going to help us through them. And that's exactly what we see back in our passage. You go all the way back to Luke 22. Pick it up where we left it off in uh, verse 43. It says, And there appeared to him, to Christ, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Not taking the trial away, but giving Christ the strength to persevere through the trial. Or further down, verse 45, we see the disciples sleeping for sorrow. Sorrow at the terrible events that were unfolding. Discouraged by trials. Tempted to compromise as Peter soon, soon would and others would. And you see in 40, verse 46, Jesus reminding them, why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray and lean on God's strength, which is the same thing that you need to do. When, when you're overwhelmed by, by trials and temptations in your life, you've got to know that God is going to give you the strength to face the trials of the day. Point number three on your outline, you need to lean on God's strength. Lean on God's strength because God is the one with the strength to help you face that trial or that temptation head on. I thought it was like a, like a, like a picture a toddler. Maybe he wants to help dad around the house. And picture, maybe there's this big, I don't know what it is, big box that needs to be moved, right? And a little toddler with the puny little arms walks up and he's, he's just pushing down the box because he wants to help God, or wants to help dad, I should say. And dad's, <laughs> dad's, watch, you know, dad's watching him, right? He's watching him push, and then dad steps in, right, with the strength to move the box. And too often we think of, think of our trials like that toddler, right? We think, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to move an obstacle that big. But God's got the strength. And just like the dad in our story, God often waits for us to start making an effort, and then God comes in with the strength to move that obstacle. And we just need to, just need to lean on him. We just need to lean on his strength. And you might be thinking, okay, that sounds great, but how does that work? I mean, how do we get strength from God in trials? How does that work? And I wish there was some unique and incredibly clever list that I could come up with for this lesson, but as I thought about it, it's quite honestly, it's the same list that God uses to equip us for anything. You want to get strength from God? It's available in three places. It's available through prayer, through his word, and through his people. That's how you do it. First, it's available through prayer. I mean, you don't have to go very far in this passage to see the importance of prayer. We've talked about this. Verse 40, pray that you don't enter into temptation. 41, then Jesus withdraws and prays. Verse 44, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Verse 46, comes back to it again. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. If you're afraid, if you're confused in a trial or a temptation, bring that prayer to God. God's not upset with us if we're afraid. No more than a dad would be upset if his son calls out to him in the night, afraid of the dark. No, God responds to the prayers of his people. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that it's not common to man. And God's faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. No, no, with the temptation, he's, he's going to provide you some strength. He'll provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You just need to ask God in prayer, and he will help. You get strength from God through prayer. You also get strength, secondly, through his word. You're facing something difficult in your life? Open up God's word. 
throughout Jesus' ministry, we constantly see him referring back to the word, referring back to the effectiveness and the helpfulness of applying God's word in your life. Your marriage is tough. Your kids are a pain. Temptation's eating away at you. I don't know, why is that tough? Or why is that funny? <laughs> I don't know, but um, either way, you should crack open the Bible, right? Find God's strength. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says God's word. It says the Bible. It's able to make us complete. God's word is able to equip us for every good work. And finally, the third way to lean on God's strength is through his people. You see Jesus doing this. He had his disciples. And sure, there weren't very much help to him in this passage, but they were throughout the rest of his ministry. Or take a guy like Paul. Throughout his letters, he's always talking about what an encouragement other people were to him. Guys like Timothy and, and, and Titus and Mark, Paul gained strength and encouragement from them. And you've got access to the same thing right here in Thrive. There are people in this room right, that can help you in your trial or in your temptation. That's why we have small groups that's why we have accountability in small groups. So you can hold each other accountable. So you can encourage one another. So you can pray for one another. So we have mentors in small groups. People that have been through similar trials. People that have been through similar temptations. People that can look back with years of maturity and with years of experience and they can help you. God's got the strength to help you persevere it's available through prayer, through his word, and through his people. You need to take advantage of it. Last summer, I took my family up to Alaska. Great vacation, but one of the interesting things we saw, right in downtown Anchorage, was the starting line for the Iditarod dog race. Picture of it. Here's, this is the actual starting line right here. That's where they start. There are my kids ready to take off and do it themselves, I guess. Um, thousand-mile dog sled race all the way across Alaska. And it was interesting as I was up there, I learned some of the things that you need to do to prepare for a race like that. You got to train dogs for multiple years sometimes to get them ready. You ship 3,000 pounds of food to, to race checkpoints along the way. Clothing for, for any weather. Right? You can get up to 90 degrees below zero. And only those that are best prepared have a chance at winning. I mean, if I sauntered up to the starting line with a, a couple of dogs I found in the alley and, and a granola bar in my backpack, right, what'd you say? You say, yeah, you're, you're foolish. Right? You're going to fail because you're not prepared for the challenge in front of you. But so often, many of us wander up to the starting line of the race called the Christian life, similarly unprepared for the challenges in front of you. And when you hit trials and temptations, oh, you crash and burn. We live in a fallen world. We face trials and temptations every day. You've got to expect it, and you've got to be ready. And you do that again through three things. You put it back on the screen behind me. You've got to fight temptation. You've got to fight temptation. You've got to be watchful, and you've got to be strong, and you've got to come to God in prayer. And then you've got to stand firm in trials, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then not trying to do it on your own, but you need to lean on God's strength. Strength to get you through every challenge and strength to bring you safely home. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, we just thank you for, for the wisdom of a passage like this. Not only as we talked about this weekend, just the amazing gift it is to, to, for you to have sent your son 
to fill our most pressing need to die for our sins. And we know that the amazing gift it is to say that if we repent of our sins and we trust in you, that you will grant us life. But more than that, we can look back at the Garden of Gethsemane and we can see the extreme temptations and trials that your son faced there and we can learn as married couples, as husbands and wives, how we can better be prepared to fight the trials and the temptations that are going to come in our lives. So I just pray for the small group time right now. I just pray that the couples in this group may have wisdom to uh, not only appreciate better the sacrifice that you've given them, but also have wisdom and insight as to how they can be better prepared to lean on you and face the trials and the temptations that are going to come their way. So just help this uh, small group time be a great time that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.